Women of Science and Music, 30 Celebrations, Episode 18, Mountains, Music and Deep Time. There's many a lass of the scientist clan that has followed her brief in a field. Welcome to the 18th episode of our podcast series, Women of Science and Music. 30 celebrations. I am Frances M. Lynch, the Artistic Director of Electric Voice Theatre, and this march is by Scottish composer Mary Maxwell Campbell. And it is to Scotland that we turn today to meet two inspiring women, both born in the mid-1900s and both originally musicians. However, one of them, Maria Ogilvie Gordon from Monimusk, made her way from the piano onto mountains and immersed herself in deep time, while the other, Helen and Hope Kirk from Edinburgh became a world-famous pianist and composer. I recorded one of her songs this week, The Voice of the Mountains, which she wrote while travelling in Austria, around the same time as Gordon was working in the mountains not too far away. I like to imagine Maria playing some of Hope Kirk's popular settings of Scottish songs to her children when she was at home. But let's get to the real story and a real live geologist and paleontologist who joins Catherine Booth, the retired science curator from the National Library of Scotland to help tell it. We're talking today about Dame Maria Matilda Ogilvie Gordon, or May Ogilvie as she liked to call herself. She was a Scottish geologist and paleontologist. Maria was born in Monimusk, Aberdeenshire in 1864 and died in London in 1939. Most of her research was done in the South Tyrol area of the Dolomites in the northern part of Italy. She produced the definitive work on the geology of the Dolomites in 1927, where she described rock layers, analysed fossils and added maps and illustrations. She had two questions, she asked herself. How had the Dolomites formed and how had corals there evolved in the mountainous landscape. She was particularly interested in the environmental conditions which had enabled the development of fossilised corals. She earned wide professional acclaim from several geological societies in Europe as well as in 1932 the Lyle Medal from the London Geological Society. But she had extensive public service too especially for the welfare of women and children and it was for that work that she was honoured as a dame of the British Empire in 1935. I'm Dr Emily Mitchell. I'm a research fellow at the University of Cambridge in the zoology department. And I use maths and ecology to investigate the first animals to have ever existed from the Ediacaran time period around 600 million years ago. I've been in Cambridge for the last year during lockdown and I have not seen any kind of mountains for a very long time. Mountains were very important for Maria Ogilvie Gordon. The voice of the mountains is calling, is calling like the music of water that's forming and falling. And that probably started when she was a child. She used to go on holiday to Ballater in Aberdeenshire, which is surrounded by mountains. She had an older brother called Francis, who was very interested in geology, and he introduced her to the mountains. Come to the highlands, so wild and so free. 
When I was a child, we used to travel to Ireland, where my mother's family was from. And so that's when I first started experiencing the wonder of walking in the mountains. My fieldwork is in Newfoundland in Canada, a very remote place, very rocky. I work on the coastlines. There aren't mountains like you get in the Alps, but you do get these wonderful, wonderful scenic views with dramatic cliffs into the sea. It's wonderful to be able to experience that call of the mountains. Maria Ogilvie Gordon would have been climbing rocks, following high mountain tracks, sometimes staying in huts overnight and weighing herself down with samples which she carried back. Women's fieldwork clothes often lack substantial pockets. And all of this she did wearing a skirt. I'm very fortunate and very relieved that I don't have to wear a large ruffled skirt in order to work. And with none of our modern warm and waterproof clothes. We are very waterproof when we're in the field and there's a huge range of ways to protect ourselves from the elements which weren't around us hundred years ago. We absolutely do not rock climb because rock climbing involves often banging things into the rocks which would destroy the fossils. However, there is a locality in England, Charmwood Forest. It's quite steep, so you can't just walk on it. It's about 45 degrees. And so one time I did actually abseil down it from above, which was amazing, being able to look at the fossils so closely like that. She was a pianist. She probably found she wasn't quite up to studying at the Royal Academy. But in fact, it seems she was actually very good. And she sometimes accompanied the Academy Orchestra at public concerts. But she had the confidence to decide a career in music was not what she wanted. giving up music, she started to pursue science studies by taking classes at Heriot Watt College. In Maria Ogilvie Gordon's day, it was very unusual for a woman to study geology or even science at all. Universities in Scotland did not admit women until after 1889. Heriot Watt had allowed women to attend lectures from 1869. So Maria was one of those who started her studies at Heriot Watt but completed them at the University of London and was awarded a BSc degree with a gold medal in 1890. She then continued her geological studies at the University of Munich. But that university wasn't very accepting of women either. She wasn't allowed to attend classes. She had to sit in a separate room with the door half open to the lecture theatre. Things have got a lot better since then. And indeed, geology is relatively good now within the sciences for having women at an undergraduate level. It gets a bit harder, though, as people's careers progress. You have very few female geology professors in the UK, for example. Professional geologists, for example, in mining, tend to be very, very heavily male-dominated, with very, very few women at 
actually doing professional fieldwork outside academia? She had an admirer back in Aberdeen, so went back there in 1895 and married him. His name was John Gordon. He was a doctor. They then had two children. I had my son a year before I submitted my PhD. But this didn't stop her getting on with her research. Writing up while he was napping. She had an extremely supportive husband. My father and my husband. Just being very, very supportive. She continued to make many visits to the South Tyrol over the years sometimes accompanied by her husband and children. When my son was five, him and my husband came out and it was fantastic. They got to see the fossils I work on. We sat down on the rocks and he was concentrating really well. He managed to scan an entire fossil. And then he was like, mummy, work's done now, let's play. I'm sure it must have been quite similar for Maria Gordon. She started working in the Dolomites from 1891 when she was invited by a German scientist to accompany him and his wife on a month-long excursion there. She was thinking she would look at corals, but he encouraged her to look at the geology of the region. The theory was that the Dolomites were ancient coral reefs that had been there for eons, at one time under an ancient sea. But she examined the structure of the rocks and the folds and the twists and thought they weren't coral reefs. One of the key things that Gordon did is she went through her field sites and worked out how all the different fossil horizons related to each other. Raising horizons! She looked at all these different layers of rocks over a huge area and managed to relate all the different fossil horizons. Capturing a really, really large amount of time in the Jurassic about 230 million years ago. And because she had this incredible time slice of these many, many, many different outcrops and she knew which order they went in through her fieldwork, she could describe how they'd been evolving through time. Even 100 years on, we're looking for these evolutionary patterns. And I think we'll continue to do so in 100 years. Theory of Music came into one of our papers. She managed to bring in a sound wave into the shape of the wave of the land. The way we mathematically describe music in terms of sound waves or even if we watch strings being plucked so we can see the waves on the strings that sort of mechanics does apply with geology you see these waves forming in terms of tectonic compression of rocks One of the similarities that my work has with Maria is focusing on these immobile organisms like sponges and corals that are often very understudied, especially when you go far back in the fossil record. She described 345 different species of mollusks and corals she had found and there's something like 1,400 are known today. There's so much work that needs to go into describing new species and accurately documenting them. She was identifying species in a slightly different way. She used microscopes a lot. She started looking at the internal structure of these sponges and corals, which is something that hadn't been done before. Maria Gordon had virtually finished writing her definitive monograph and then war broke out. So she had to leave Munich in a big hurry, left the 
manuscript behind. She didn't get back to Munich until the 1920s to find that the manuscript was nowhere to be found. I had a week's worth of data on my laptop and I was packing up my equipment at the end of the day and I'd placed my laptop in its protective case at the top of the bedding plane that I was working on. Five minutes later, the laptop in its case just zoomed it straight into the sea. <laughs> However, she was not daunted. She started to write it again, and it was eventually published in 1927 and has been recognised as the definitive treatise on the geology of the South Tyrol region. The case not only floated, it kept everything watertight. And luckily the tide was turning, which meant that it didn't get washed out to sea. So we managed to fish it out. So luckily all my data was saved, which was fantastic because a week's worth of work would be um, really not great to reproduce, but nowhere near as horrendous as her losing her monograph. I study Ediacaran fossils from the Ediacaran time period, which is around 635 million years to 540 million years. So these fossils are really unusual because they predate the evolution of hard parts. It's hard to preserve soft things. However, in the Ediacaran, you have thousands upon thousands of these wonderful soft-bodied organisms preserved because you had a volcanic ash flow, rather like Pompeii. So you have these casts and moulds of these soft-bodied organisms preserved where they lived across the bedding plains. And what this means is by doing lots of mathematical analyses on these spatial positions, you can reconstruct these life histories. It's very important to remember that science builds on what comes before. So everyone who works on sponges and corals is building on Maria's work as are the geologists when they're thinking of the Dolomites. We need to remember her as a practising geologist. Dame May Ogilvie Gordon, the first practising Scottish woman geologist. That was Trailblazers, Time and Tide and Tech which I created with Herbie Clark for the Lyme Regis Fossil Festival in 2017. That's the end of this episode, Mountains, Music and Deep Time. Many thanks to you for listening and to our speakers, Catherine Booth and Dr Emily Mitchell. You can find out more about Dr Mitchell, Maria Ogilvie-Gordon and composer Helen Hopekirk, whose song you heard earlier on minervascientifica.co.uk. Don't miss the next episode of Women in Science and Music 30 Celebrations when we will join the grand old lady of carcinology on a very special visit to meet the Emperor of Japan. Oh.